Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Amen. Thank you very much for being here today. If you're online and joining us, we are glad you're here as well. I want you to think back to the first time in your life you remember being humbled by a circumstance. You remember, usually that's, I mean, I know that at least in my life, God does that like every couple days for me, but the first time I can remember being humbled was I was about four years old and my mom took me to swim uh, lessons. And I showed up to swim lessons thinking I was a great swimmer because I had arm floaties on. But what I didn't realize was that you couldn't do swim lessons with arm floaties. Now, I grew up in the late 80s, and uh, my mom took me down to the Presswick Country Club where they had a pool, and I was all excited and showed up thinking I was a great swimmer, and they ripped the arm floaties off of me, and like they did in the late 80s, they just threw you in the pool, right? You'd end up on the news now, but they just threw me in the pool, and that's how I started to learn how to swim. Whatever confidence I had in my swimming ability was gone. I was relying only on my arm floaties and realized really quickly that I I was not a great swimmer. Thankfully, I I learned from that and grew from that and, and moved on. But there's probably a moment like that in your life as well, where you realized it didn't quite go like you thought it would, that you 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 thought you were better than you really were. And it's interesting in Romans chapter 12, Paul, as we talked last week, Pastor John highlighted that we have to renew our minds and offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And that's what we're called to do. And you would think that Paul would have like started the next section with read your Bible some more, show up to church more, be a nicer person, and, and, and things will go well. But that is not indeed what he said. Matter of fact, it's the exact opposite of that. You know the greatest problem in your relationship with God? You know who it is? It's you. It's me. Like we are the problem. And so sometimes Paul, especially in this passage of Romans chapter 12, we get excited. We're like, okay, I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice. And what he says next is not at all what we would think. He says that we're the problem and that we're the greatest hindrance to our faith. This is is not a new concept, by the way. He does this throughout the New Testament. In Philippians 2, he says that in humility, you should consider others better than yourselves. In Colossians chapter 3, he says that humility is what we should pursue above all else. In Galatians chapter 6, he says, if you think you're something, but you're really not, you've been deceived. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says that for those who follow Jesus, they should no longer live for themselves, but should live for Christ. And then probably the most well-known one, Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So this idea that we're the greatest problem in our relationship with God is not a new one. And Paul lays out in verses 3 through 8 of Romans chapter 12 this, this problem that we have, that all of us have. But before we get started today, I want to help you see there's an assumption that Paul is making in this passage. And the assumption is that he's talking to people who are following Jesus. And even in that, sometimes we get in our own way. Think of how many people you've talked to over the years who think, well, I, they, they say, well, I, I did enough good things to be a follower of Jesus. No, that's not what he's talking about, right? And even in that, our pride gets in the way. We think that if we just do enough things or say the right things, that suddenly we'll be okay in God's eyes 
But we know that's not true from the rest of the New Testament. That It's only by God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection that we can have a relationship with him. And so our trust is not in what we did. It's in what Jesus did for us. And we get his righteousness and we get all the benefits that he offers. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, that's your first step. You can't do that on your own. You need his help. You need his sacrifice and everything that he offers. But for the rest of us, he says in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, I want to read with us together today, and then I want to share three things with you that hopefully will encourage you as you go throughout your week. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If your gift is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do so diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Well, if you're reading through this, this is not what you would expect. Because Paul said, we need to renew our minds last week, Pastor John covered, and we got to offer our bodies as living sacrifice. And then you would just think that it would naturally be something different. But what he says is that for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, no one is exempt from this, not only for the people who originally heard it from the church in Rome, but we're not exempt from it today as well. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. This is interesting because Paul says it's by the grace given to him. Grace we normally think of around salvation. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's a gift of God. There's nothing you can do to, to earn it. And so we, we like the grace that day, but we don't remember that we need grace every other day as well. And God extends his grace in tangible ways every single day. And a lot of times we just think, well, it was a better Tuesday than it was last Tuesday. But that's God's grace in your life. And I hope you can see that. Paul, if you don't recall, in Philippians chapter 3, he lays out his pedigree of why he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had, he had followed the letter of the law down to the T. And so we know that Paul had a little bit of arrogance to him and that he didn't always think this way. But he says in verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. We won't see ourselves with a clear picture apart from God's grace. We won't have an accurate representation of who we are. If you're taking notes today, uh, point number one is I'm not as good as I think I am. Right? Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Paul didn't always think that way. My guess is you haven't always thought that way. I haven't always thought that way. Probably this week you probably didn't think that way. But the reality is we're not as good as we think we are. We love to trust in our own abilities. I'm going to be a great dad, a great mom, a great uh, boss. I'm going to be a great worker. I'm going to be a great student, right? We love to trust in our ability to do all the things that God's called us to do. And in reality, we're not as good as we think we are. Now, this seems like bad news, but it is an amazing thing to think through. That what little good we do accomplish 
is God's grace. So you think of all the great things that happened in the past month in your life. Maybe you haven't had a whole lot, but there's probably one or two that you could pick. That's a result of God's grace in your life. And Paul says, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. But he says this in verse 3, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has given to you. This idea of sober judgment is so that we would have an accurate view of ourselves. And if we were all to get honest with each other today, we would probably have to admit that we probably think highly, more highly of ourselves than we should. But that's not where we are. That's not where we should be. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself. So if it's available to Paul, it's available to us. The grace to see ourselves with sober judgment. You think about people who are, are drunk. They can't see clearly. They can't walk clearly. They can't do much of anything clearly because they're so fogged out and messed up. They don't see things for what they really are. I've got an image that you've seen before, and this is proof of this, right? If you look at the image behind me, this should be a, an, an eye chart that you'll see in a second. Or two. Yeah, there we go. This is blown up big enough you should be able to see it. If you can't see this, you need to go to the doctor this week. But what happens when you get to those bottom lines and you're like, it's an E, it's a Z, it's an R, it's a P. You have no idea because you can't see clearly what is really there. Then you get the right prescription, the right contacts, the right glasses, and suddenly you can see that it's really P-E-Z-O-L-C-F-T-D on the bottom line. Now, maybe you still can't see that because it's, it's still a little blurry. But what Paul is talking about is he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you should, but think of yourself with sober judgment, with the ability to see yourself and your sin in the clearest way possible. That is God's grace to you and me today, that we could see ourselves with sober judgment. And we could admit to all of us, I can admit to you, you can admit to me, we're not as good as we think we are. But there's, there's good news, so just hang with me for a minute if you're really depressed all of a sudden. I have a plaque in my office. I've quoted this to you before. It's a quote from Jerry Bridges that says that our best days are not beyond the need of God's grace, and our worst days are not beyond the reach of God's grace. So whether you feel like you are nailing this or you've missed this by a mile, there's God's grace is available for you. And so you don't have to, to come into this and go, wow, Tyson's right. I really do think of myself more highly than I should. No, God's grace is available so that you could see yourself through sober judgment or an accurate representation of who you really are. It's true. You're probably not as good as you think you are. But the other side of it is also true. Uh, Tim Keller said this, that pride is plagiarism. It looks at something that I accomplished this when in reality it's a gift from God. And Satan loves to allow our pride to, to, I love the way to think about that, that it's plagiarism, that we take credit for things that we have no business taking credit for. I do it, you do it. And so what is Paul saying? Because Paul said, wait, you gotta renew your mind. You gotta offer your body as living and sacrifice. And then the next thing he says is you should not think of yourself more highly than you should. It just seems counterintuitive at first. But if we'll grasp a hold of this, that if we're going to offer our bodies as living sacrifice, we've got to get ourselves out of the way. A perfect sacrifice is one that's set up, Jesus being the only one that is truly able to cover everything. But the sacrifice that he's talking about in Romans is the willingness to put ourselves aside and to do what God would have us to do. 
And so Tim Keller says that that pride is indeed plagiarism. And Paul says that we should view ourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Now, he's not saying that God's up there with like a dropper of faith, just kind of you get a little bit and you get three drops and you get a few. And that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that God knows you so well, better than you know yourself. And in accordance with the grace and the faith that he gives you, that God has a plan and purpose for your life. And every one of us gets grace from him in a tangible way that probably only makes sense to you and to me. And it's by his grace and it's for his glory. He knows us and he knows what we can give to help others. And he also knows what we need to protect us from ourselves. So sometimes he allows things like my experience in swimming class. If I would have just assumed that I could have swam wherever with, without my arm floaties, I would have drowned. And so sometimes he allows those circumstances to help us see that we're not as good as we think we are, that we need his grace and we need his goodness. And Paul says that we should think of it in sober judgment in accordance with what he's given us or what he's allowed us to experience, what he's gifted us with or what he's helped us with to see ourselves accurately. This is specifically talking in the context of spiritual gifts that he's going to talk about here in a few minutes, but it applies to everywhere in life. Thinking of yourself too highly leads to damage, right? The other thing that happens sometimes is we think of ourselves too highly and it leads to inaction. So we don't do anything because we think we're above that or we think we're better than that. So we've got to watch that because it'll destroy our relationships and it'll destroy the potential for us to impact the body of Christ. He goes on in verse 4 to say, For just as each one of us has a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the other. Paul loves this analogy of the body. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you cannot escape this. You are a part of the body of Christ whether you want to be or not. You have something to offer that is unique to you, not just in your personality, but in what you have. And we will never live up to our potential as the body of Christ, specifically this local expression, if we all don't play our part in that body. And Paul says in verse 4 that, that we have a body with many members, hands, feet. You don't realize how important something is until you don't have it anymore. I was talking with this with Pastor Kyle this week. He lost the use of his foot because he put an ax through it nine weeks ago. His third bone in his foot never seemed important until nine weeks ago. And no one is looking forward to him getting the use of his foot back, with the exception of maybe Abby, his wife, than Kyle. Because he didn't realize that that was really, really important. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 12 to say, the things that you think are not important are actually the most important. So the ones that you think are, are not, I don't really need like my ear. No, you, you do need your ear. And when you don't have it anymore, it suddenly becomes really, really important. And so Paul says, we are just like you have a body that has parts, and hopefully all of your parts are working the right way, but when they don't work, you start to see how important they are. And what Paul is saying is that just as a body has many members, the body of Christ has many members, and when that's all not functioning properly, it hurts. So it's true. You're not as good as you think you are. And the other thing that you need to understand is that I am not my own. I'm not an island. I don't just get to follow Jesus by myself. What's he say in verse 5? So in Christ, though we are many, form one body. And here's the part that I don't really like. Each member belongs to the others. That means I need you and you need me. And we will never function like we're supposed to unless you do your part and I do my part. 
It's like the world's worst group project. You remember group projects in high school? You always had the one kid who did everything and the three others that did nothing, right? And what Paul's saying is you can't function as a church like a group project. It'll never work because you need each other. And so it's true, you're not as good as you think you are, but it's also true that you're not your own. Like, I need you and you, you need me. In Christ, it's interesting that when we fully understand the diversity that we have and the giftings that we've been given, we live up to the best potential of what God's called us to be. And sometimes we get so busy thinking, I wish I was more like this, that we miss out on the opportunity to live up to where God's called us to be. And so today, Paul says that, look, are you, are you playing your part in the body of Christ? Because our church won't reach its full potential apart from you. It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians 12, he gives a little bit better description of this. So if you, if you aren't familiar with it, I'd encourage you to read that passage of Scripture. But here's the good news. It's true. You're not as good as you think you are. You're not an island by yourself. But look what he says in verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. The third thing that you need to understand today is that I have something to offer. It's true, you're not as good as you think you are. And it's true, you're not your own. But the other thing that's also true is that every single one of you has something to offer. You do. You have something, you are uniquely gifted and shaped to be exactly the person that God wanted you to be. Sometimes we uh, stunt that or stay away from it, but that is what God has done for you and for me. He's given us the ability to live up to what he calls us to do. I want you to listen to this. God knows you, and he's equipped you for everything that he's called you to do. He knows you, and he's equipped you for everything he's called you to do. Meaning that you can trust him with how he's put your life together. You can trust him that you don't have to have everything figured out. You can trust him that you don't have to be the best at everything because there's a group of people around you that are going to help you see this in a way that you could never accomplish it on your own. And when we start to understand this and we start to grasp this, that I'm not as good as I think I am, that I'm not an island by myself, and that I have something to offer, it should change the way that you live your life. I no longer have to be afraid of, I have to measure up to every single thing because you know what, there's things I'm not very good at, but there's things that some of you are incredible at. And I'll talk more about that in just a second and how that works. We're different people with different gifts. He says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Now that's a strange word that we don't use a whole lot anymore. And, in the, and typically what we would think around prophecy would be that the, the foretelling of future stuff, like stuff that's happening in the future. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the proclamation of God's truth or God's word. And he says, look, if, you're, if your gift is to proclaim God's truth and his word, then to, to do so in accordance with your faith. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, gives us a better picture of what this looks like. He says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strength, encouragement, and comfort. And so hopefully you walk out of here today strengthened, encouraged, and comfort because you've heard the truth of God's word. That's my goal. Matter of fact, if for your gifting, and he's going to lay out seven different gifts here. This is not an exhaustive list, but he's going to give a, group, a list. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift that's, that's given to you for the edification or the building up of the body. Every single one of you have one. 
You may not know what it is, but you have one. And I would encourage you to take it a step further and not just recognize what your gift is, but to, to kind of think through that. I had a mentor about 10 years ago that said, hey, what's your gift? And I told him, and he said, well, what are you going to do with it? And I was like, I'm still trying to figure that out. And he's like, well, why, what's your purpose? Why do you need to do that? And I came across 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, and I said, well, it looks like people who are going to speak and prophesy and talk should do so for the strengthening, encouragement, and comfort of others. Why do you serve? Why do you give? Why do you offer encouragement? Hopefully you have some reasoning behind that because what it does is if you make it all about you, you'll be right back at where we talked about at the beginning. Frustrated because you can't do it all. So he challenged me to write out a purpose statement of what my gift was. And so I, he said, why do, you do, why do you preach? Why do you do what you do? And I came up with, I want to motivate and inspire people to follow Jesus. And I thought it was a little strange, but then over the years I figured out why he gave it to me that way. It was so that I wouldn't rely on my gift, right? It's not about Tyson. It's about I want to motivate you and inspire you to follow Jesus. And that gets us away from that arrogance and pride of, of holding on to our gift and thinking that we're something special. Some of you serve and you think, well, I just serve enough and therefore God loves me more. No, God loves you exactly how you are. But he also loves you enough to not leave you there. So you need to have a reasoning for why and an understanding of why your gift is what it is because otherwise it'll default back to you and it becomes back to selfishness and pride. Does that make sense? I hope so because once you start to move that away from my ability and my gifting and put it back where it belongs with Jesus and his willingness to, to use you, it changes the paradigm forever. So why do you do what you do? What's your motivation? He goes on in verse 7 to say, if it's serving, then serve. And if it's teaching, then teach. I love this about Paul. It's just if you have this gift, do it. I don't know if you're in your Bible, but there's nothing in my Bible like a like fine print at the bottom. There's nothing that says um, a caveat, like if you're too busy this week, don't worry about it. Um, if you have a lot going on and you're tired, don't worry about it. No, it just says if you are called to serve, then serve. If you're called to teach, then teach. And a lot of times we love to make excuses about why we don't do something. And I do the same thing too. Here's why this matters. You're not as good as you think you are. You're not an island by yourself, but you have something to offer. He says if you're going to serve, serving is every practical sort of help you can offer another human being, specifically within the body of Christ, but also you're here on Sunday morning. I don't think it's a thing where we like clock in on Sunday and I'm going to use my gift and then Monday through Saturday, we clock out and we don't get to do that. No, he's given it not only for the edification of the body, but also to encourage, love, and support others and push them towards following Jesus Monday through Saturday. He says, look, if you're called to serve, then serve. If you're called to teach, because truth doesn't just need to be proclaimed, sometimes it needs to be explained, right? That's what the role of teaching is. Sometimes I, I get 30 minutes. I can't cover everything in 30 minutes, but here's the thing. Some of you are incredibly gifted at teaching. You don't need a class to do it. You don't need a small group to do it. Sometimes it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting where you're saying, hey, let me help you understand this more about whatever the topic is. Paul says, look, if your gift is serving, then serve. If your gift is teaching, then, then teach. I love the way uh, Bob Goff in his book, Love Does, says sometimes we get so bogged down about doing stuff and wh what it is and when it is, and I love his description. He says, instead of trying to figure out whether it's ministry or serving, just call it a Tuesday and serve the Lord. Just go out and just wake up every day and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. It might be ministry. It might not. I'm just going to serve the Lord today. 
That should free us up to do what we want to do. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you now, we're going to talk here about a couple other gifts that he gives. The next one being encouragement. Verse 8 says, if it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's to give, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Encouragement is something that every single one of us can do. And he gives, it's interesting, these are not, it's not an exhaustive list, but some of you are incredibly gifted at encouraging others. You'll write notes, you'll send texts, you'll do whatever. Me, I, I want to be an encouraging person, I just realize sometimes I'm not. And so that's something where I got to lean on other people to help me be better at this. But every one of us can do this. Every one of us can serve. I love, there was a guy who used to go here, he passed on, now he's with Jesus now, but his name was John Finley. And John loved to serve. Matter of fact, he loved it more if he'd asked me specifically, is there anything I can do this week where no one will know who did it? That was just him. That was what he wanted to do. Every single one of us, whether it's your, your gifting or not, can serve people, and we can encourage people. And if God brings somebody to your mind while I'm talking for the next two minutes that needs encouragement, pull out your phone, text them, and encourage them. Don't listen to me. Because I think sometimes we're like, at least in my life, I can't speak for you, I'm like, I need to encourage that person, and I'll do that later tonight. And then what happens? Later tonight happens, I'm on Netflix, and I forget about it completely. Right? If God calls you to do something, if he calls you to serve somebody, if he calls you to encourage somebody, if he calls you to step up and lead in some way or teach, just do it. That's what he says, right? There's no other explanation. If you serve, then serve. If you teach, then teach. If you encourage, then encourage. We've got to be willing to do it. So if you think of somebody in the next couple of minutes that needs an encouragement, shoot them a text while I'm talking. Don't pay attention to me. I'd rather you do that than pay attention to what I have to say because we will write it off and we will say, oh, I'll get to that later. And then we miss out on the opportunity to fulfill our part in the body of Christ. So it's interesting. He says, encouragement, you don't need an official title to be an encourager. Uh, Barnabas was, he was known as an encourager, but he wasn't like, I'm Barnabas the encourager and walked into church, right? You don't need a, a title. Like, we can get you a tag if you want one, but like, you don't need one. Just go do it. It says that if you just encourage, encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. Now, a lot of us are like, I don't have any money, therefore, this is not my gift. No, that is not what he's talking about. He says, if you're going to give, be generous. And a lot of times, we want to know what the minimum level of, of effort is. How much do I have to do to get by? And Paul says, no, if you're, if you're called to give, just give it away. And it might be time. It might be money. Matter of fact, I'd argue, I talked about this in the first hour, and somebody came up to me afterwards and said I was dead on. Sometimes it's easier to write a check than it is to go and do something because doing something, our time is so valuable. And so sometimes you're like, oh, I'll just give some money. Somebody else can do it. No, Paul says if you're going to give, be generous. And whether it's your money or your time or your wisdom, whatever it might be, be willing to share that and be willing to share a lot of it. He says if it's to give, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. <clears throat> Every single one of you probably leads somebody somewhere. It might be in the home. It might be at work. It might be at school. But at some point, at some time in your life, you're going to have the opportunity to lead somebody. It might be you tell them directions across the street. It might be uh, a position you have at work. It might be a position you have at home or here at church. But every one of us has the opportunity to lead. And Paul says that those who lead, specifically talking about leadership, should do it diligently. 
For those of you who lead, you know there's a million plates spinning in your life, and you usually go after the easiest ones first. And Paul says, if we're going to lead, we got to be diligent, meaning we can't procrastinate and put stuff off. we got to step up and do the hard things and do what God has called us to do. we got to be diligent in how we lead others. Why? Because it's a gift. And we got to steward that gift the best way possible. So some of you are really great at encouraging, and, and you steward that really well. He says the same thing around being a leader. He says if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. He's talking about mercy or compassion. And he says if you have that ability or gifting, then you should do it cheerfully. Um, just to be 100% transparent, this is not my gifting. And I know that. But as I've been reading and studying, I was reminded this week that Job's friends, if you remember the guy Job, had a ton of suffering in his life. Job's friends made his suffering worse in the way that they responded to his suffering. I don't want to be like that. And I hope you don't want to be like that. And even though that's not necessarily my gifting, we're all called to show mercy and compassion to people because we've been shown mercy and compassion in the love and grace of Jesus Christ. So even though some of you are really, really good at working through this, matter of fact, there's two people in particular, John Johansson and Mindy Duckett. If they email me and say, Tyson, I got an idea for you, I just try and listen as best I can because I know that's not my natural gifting. And I need them to show me the ways that we should be loving and compassionate and show mercy to other people. Because I know that's just not what I'm going to come up with on my own. Maybe you're not that great at encouraging somebody. You need to surround yourself with some encouragers. Maybe you're not that great at serving. You're just like, I ain't got time. I'm nothing but Surround yourself with people who will help you do that. That's why we're put together. It's why the diversity of the body works. And Paul says, look, you're not as good as you think you are, and you are not an island, but you do have something to offer. And when we see that together, that, look, I need John and I need Mindy to, to help me see the parts that I'm not good at, it changes the way that we live, or at least it should change the way that we live. <clears throat> Paul ends and says, if it sh to show mercy, do so cheerfully. Not because I feel bad about it, but because I want to help. You ever talk to somebody who just really wants to help? How much better that makes you feel? I was talking with a nurse earlier this week, and she just wanted to help. And I just felt a complete peace because that's who she was. She was cheerful. She was nice. She was kind, but she just wanted to help. May we be the kind of people who just want to help. As you think about this idea of spiritual gifts, I want to maybe challenge your thinking in it today because I've been challenged in my thinking about it. Well, I could have given you a, a spiritual gift survey. If you want one, email me, text me. I'll send it to you, and it'll help identify your spiritual gift, and that's important. But I think I, I want you to think about your gifting differently from here on out. In the context of Romans chapter 12, it says that we are to renew our minds and to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So that means every day we should be willing to do whatever God's called us to do. I want you to think of it like this, that every day you wake up to a blank canvas in your life. Unfortunately, sometimes we put God in a box and we say, well, I'm an Enneagram 7 and I'm not really good at encouraging. Actually, they would be, but I'm not really good at encouraging. Therefore, I can't do that. Therefore, it's on somebody else and it's up to them. No, I want you to think of yourself as a living sacrifice, as a blank canvas. 
You see, when an artist sits out to paint something on this, they've got a palette of colors. But that's limited. There's like 12 colors they have. But they can combine those colors to come up with an infinite different textures and mediums and ways to make this look into just an amazing image. But you and I, today and tomorrow, are blank canvases. And God may call you to do something you're not super comfortable with tomorrow. He may call you to encourage somebody that you're not usually used to encourage. He may call you to spur somebody on towards the love and good deeds. He may call you to lead or to guide or to help somebody else. And if we sit there and say, well, that's not my personality, we're going to miss out on the opportunity to do what God's called us to do. So it's very true that you have a gift that God has given you, and we need your gift for us to reach our full potential. But it's equally true that God understands you in such a way that he may call you to do something that's way outside your comfort zone. And so if you read through those seven gifts and you're like, none of those are me, buckle up because God may want to take bits and pieces of those and, and allow you to paint something you could never paint on your own. The reason I know this is in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23, a verse that you're probably familiar with. Jeremiah said this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are, what, new every morning. They're new every morning. So I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. It's true that God's compassions are new every morning. It's true that his grace is new every morning. And so don't put him in a box this week thinking I could not be used or be a part of this because I don't have that gift. Because God just might surprise you this week and want to use you because you're not as good as you think you are. And you're not all by yourself. But you do have something to offer. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity today to be in your word and be reminded of who you are and and who we are. And God, I pray that we would have the sober judgment to see ourselves clearly, that we're not as good as we think we are, that God, that we're not an island by ourselves, that we need each other, and that God, that we have something to offer by your goodness and grace. And God, I pray for those here, here today that maybe don't know you, that they would move beyond themselves and see that they need you, that they can't do anything to earn salvation, but they just have to receive the free gift of it. I pray for those of us, God, that maybe have made ourselves out to be a little bit more than we really are, and I pray that you would help us to repent even now. God, I pray for those of us that maybe lived on an island and thought that we don't need each other, and I pray that we would repent for that. And God, I pray that you would help us all see that we have something to offer and that, God, that we would do so in such a way this week that we would be a blank canvas for you and that we would allow your grace and your goodness and your gifting and your equipping to paint a picture that we could never paint on our own for your glory. God, help us to see our need for you this week. Help us to trust you with whatever we face. And God, most of all, we thank you for the chance to be a small part of what you're doing, even though you don't need us. So God, we we trust you. We recognize that some things will go great this week. We recognize that some things probably won't make sense. But God, I pray that you'd help us to see that you're doing something bigger than us. And you're putting together a picture that we could never put together on our own. In Jesus' name, amen. 
you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.